In the name of the one who is and was and is to come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. No, that gradual hymn was not just me indulging myself with my favorite hymn. Well, maybe just a little bit. But in the reading from Revelation, we heard, look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. When Charles Wesley worked with these words, he gives us the well-known. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. And this hymn fits well in Eastertide because the resurrection is when God's future invades our present. And if you want a fuller explanation of that idea, read or listen to the sermon from the Easter Vigil. But a hymn about the coming of Christ makes complete sense in Easter because the resurrection is when God's ultimate and future salvation is experienced in our lives. Over the next six Sundays, all of the New Testament readings will come from Revelation. And I am taking this opportunity to preach on what is generally considered to be the most controversial, complicated, confusing, and challenging book in the Bible. But despite all this, Revelation is worth our attention because God still speaks through it today. And I will get to today's readings, but it will be helpful to start with an overview of Revelation. And please note, there is no S at the end of the book. Not Revelations, but Revelation. So the first question, of course, is who wrote it? And the answer is John. And that's about as helpful as a description as it would be today. There are dozens of people that you all know named John. Scripture, likewise, has lots of Johns in it. Now, church tradition has sometimes said that the author is the disciple, John, but there's really no evidence for that. The most compelling argument that I've read on authorship is from a professor who taught at Notre Dame. She argues that what we have in Revelation is actually a vision of John the Baptist with a few introductory and concluding chapters that were later added to it. Does it really matter, though, who wrote Revelation? No, so we could just say John. As to when it was written, consensus is that it was written in the year 95 when Domitian was the Roman emperor. Now, persecution of Christians was not nearly widespread as it is made out to be. But at the particular time and under that particular emperor, localized persecution of Christians was intense and the author of Revelation knew and suffered under it. It was a time of religious and political crisis. Now, it would be just as easy to go back in time and explain Wikipedia to someone in the first century as it would be to explain the idea of the separation of church and state. To be a Christian, by definition, meant you were not worshiping the emperor, which meant that you were not a good citizen which meant that you are guilty of treason. And if you went the other way and decided to worship the emperor, then you are committing idolatry and you have effectively excommunicated yourself from the church. The word crisis 
comes from a Greek word that means to decide. And in every sense of the word, this was a crisis, a time of deciding where our allegiances will lie, potentially under the threat of death. We also need to bear in mind that Revelation is a letter. We are reading someone else's mail. And this fundamentally changes how we read it. The way that letters of this sort worked is that they were sent via a courier to a recipient. And the recipient was a group of people, a church. And the letter would be read aloud in worship. And so Revelation was not written to Christians in general, but rather to a very specific group of Christians. And this means that while Revelation is not written to us, it is written for us. And by this I mean that through the Holy Spirit, we have a lot to learn from Revelation. But we have to always remember, the book, the letter, was not written to us. So Revelation may well provide a message for the future, but not predictions about it. And to understand why Revelation is not to be used in the way that so many Christians do, as a guide to the future, we have to know the genre that we're talking about. Currently, I am reading The War of the Worlds to Ellie at bedtime. And you've probably heard the story of when this book was adapted for radio in 1938. And it caused panic among some listeners because they were hearing it, not as a work of fish fiction, but they thought it was a news report. Hearing about Martians armed with laser cannons is dramatically different based on whether or not you are reading it as fiction or the news. Genres in scripture likewise matter, and particularly in Revelation. The genre of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Now, apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. Apocalypse just means that something has been uncovered. An apocalypse is anything that reveals truths that we had not previously known. It's also worth noting that apocalyptic literature is written by the oppressed and for the oppressed. And in that sense, it is resistance literature meant to give strength and inspire people to reframe their current oppression as temporary and the fading triumph of evil. Apocalypses, such as Revelation, give the people a nevertheless even when a therefore makes no sense. And such writing is done from and for the oppressed means that the language that is often used is symbolic. If it's true that a picture is worth a thousand words, then Revelation is much longer than it appears to be in our printed Bibles because it is full of symbolic imagery. To be very clear about this though, Revelation is not encrypted. It is not coded. There is no key that we have to find which unlocks the meaning of all these symbols. It is not a cipher where we just substitute one word for a whole different one. These are symbols, and symbols do not represent just one thing, but many. Symbols pull us deeper into the story, and so revelation is not something for us to figure out. Rather, it is a description of how God triumphs over evil. And this means there's no right way to read Revelation because there's no single way to understand these symbols. And this is a good thing because if Revelation had one meaning, 
it would have been what it meant 2,000 years ago, and there would be no point to us reading it today. But it remains Holy Scripture because the Spirit still speaks through these symbols today. But just because there's no right way to read Revelation, it does not mean that there are no wrong ways. Revelation is not about predicting the future, describing the end of time, or creating conspiracies about 5G wireless signals, presidential elections, public health policy, or vaccines. That would be like using a cookbook as a dieting book. And if that was a recipe book for cakes, it might be very satisfying, but ultimately will not lead to health. Overall, though, Revelation has a coherent and logical message that there is a struggle happening between God's people and the enemies of God. And God is fighting on the behalf of his people and the people's defiance and even disobedience to the powers and principalities is called for. Revelation assures the faithful that God will achieve the consummation of all things. And so our endurance and allegiance are the faithful responses as we await the day of the victory of the Lamb of God. And in another sermon in this series, I will have much more to say about the Lamb of God. But this trajectory needs to be kept in mind when we read Revelation. It assures us of the end of the story so that we can live with hope even when things are not going well now. And though I have been doing a good bit of explaining so far, I do want to make it clear that I am preaching sermons in this series, not leading a study. Some churches refer to what I'm doing up here as a teaching, but this is not a teaching. There's a reason why I am not in academic robes, but rather liturgical ones. What I am doing up here is announcing and proclaiming the good news, that God loves us, that this love came to us in Jesus, and that this love resides in us through the Holy Spirit. So though these sermons are focusing on Revelation, I am not teaching about Revelation, nor are we studying it. Instead, we are listening for God's timeless truths in it. With all that being said, very briefly, we turn to the particular part of Revelation we heard this morning. It functions something like an overture to the whole work, and so if we can grasp this section, we will be able to better read the rest. In particular, the summary is, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First, God loves us. This, I hope, is not news to anyone. This is the message of our faith and of Easter, that nothing, not sin, not death, not doubt, not fear, not our mistakes, nothing and no one separates us from the love of God. And this is true not only for us, but for all people. If we could only trust that love is the truest and most important thing in the world, well, what a world this would be. Next, we hear that Jesus frees us from our sins by his blood. And the blood shows us just how deeply and without limit God loves us. The freedom part is at the heart of what Revelation is all about. That we do not owe our allegiance to an emperor, a government, a nation, a bank account, a corporation, a job, a resume, an idea of what we think life should be, a self-image, a boss, an opinion of others. The only person we owe allegiance to is Jesus Christ, 
and the only task we have is that of love. And in this freedom, we are made to be a kingdom. And this is where Revelation gets political. Because if we are to be a kingdom, then it means that the kingdoms that we inhabit are not our true home. If the kingdoms of this world were good enough, Jesus would not be making a new kingdom for us to live in. And throughout Revelation, we see that worship is a political act because worship proclaims who is worthy of respect and reverence and who are false idols. Worship shapes us to be sacrificial, generous, humble, and loving. Worship creates a beloved community that breaks down the walls that separates us. And this is what the kingdom is all about, worshiping around the throne of the Lamb of God. We are to be priests in this kingdom. Yes, I am called to be a priest in a very specific way, but we are all, each and every one of us, priests of God. A priest offers sacrifices, intercedes for the people, and represents God to the world. These are all of our tasks. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, representing us all, are given the vocation of being a priest. On through the Old Testament, we read about Moses, Aaron, and David, who are seen as priests, a role that is perfected in Jesus. And what Jesus enables for us is for us to be what God wanted in the very beginning, for us to represent God to creation and to care for creation as its priests. And the reason why priest language is so important here is that a priest always works in a temple and we all have a temple. The temple that we have are our bodies and our lives. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And with those temples, our lives, we are to be priests to the world. And this is why I am so excited about having this represented in the Pentecost icon that we will dedicate later in today's liturgy. It clearly shows us that each of us, regardless of our ability, age, gender, race, orientation, wealth, intellect, mistakes, and talents, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we all are priests. And the purpose of this priesthood is to give glory to God forever and ever, because God alone is Alpha and Omega. God is the source and the conclusion of all, which is why we are confident of the end of the story and know that all shall be well. When we keep God at the center of all things, giving our allegiance to God alone, having love be the only currency that we spend, then we experience that fullness of life and freedom that has been won for us. This is what the Spirit is saying to the church, that we are loved and freed to be a kingdom of priests, glorifying God in all things, that was the message of Revelation 2,000 years ago, and it is the same today. Because Jesus Christ is the one who is, and who was, and who is to come.